Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. For as long as we've been enjoying the modern world of arts and entertainment, there's been a formula in behind that has been worked to perfection. It involves the crafting of content, characters, and the selection of strategic mediums. Now, as consumers, this puppetry and pulling of strings is not something we often think about. Yet, the quality of that work, whether it's television, movie, or nowadays, social content, is often what leads to hit shows, celebrity, and ultimately commerce of some shape or form. Now, to help crystallize this idea, consider your favorite YouTuber or traditional celebrity. There's a very high probability that that person is being guided along in his or her career by talent experts and managers who are attempting to maximize the growth opportunities, financial or otherwise, that person exhibits. Well, on today's show, our guest is someone who is involved in that type of management. What makes his work extra compelling is that he's working in a very specific manner and with types of talent that are quickly redefining what we as consumers consider as attractive and believable voices in the field of marketing and entertainment. All right, welcome to the show. So Chris Ryan is a talent manager based in Los Angeles. He started his entertainment career at the top talent agency, WME. He then went on to be a development executive with production companies on the Universal and Disney studio lots. His first foray into talent management was representing feature writers and reality producers at a boutique talent management firm before forming his own Oceanside Entertainment. He made major spec screenplay sales to Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Pictures, Fox, and Universal, as well as staffing clients on MTV, G4 TV, and ABC television shows. In 2005, he assisted a colleague in producing a pop-up lounge during the Sundance Film Festival. There, he fell in love with experiential marketing and event sponsorship, focusing on tentpole platforms associated with top award shows, music, and film festivals. Now, for 10 years, Chris has kept the master grid of all the parties at the Sundance Film Festival, which was used by media outlets, publicists, and industry players. The party list resulted in profiles in Business Week, ABC News, New York Times, Vanity Fair, and many others. Post-pandemic, he's returned to talent management, representing popular TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube creators. He still works with events, but is now packaging sponsorships with influencers to guarantee ROI for brands. Outside of events and talent management, Chris is a big fan of Broadway plays and musicals. He's been a co-producer on Dr. Zivago on Broadway and is currently involved in the tour of Ain't Too Proud, the Temptations musical through his friend, Wendy Fetterman. So with all that stated, Chris, I mean, yeah, welcome to the show. It's great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to, to get into this. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a field, I think, that uh, not a lot of people really get to peek behind that curtain. You know, I mean, we always see what's facing us, you know, whether through the, the talent directly. But I think it'd be really fascinating to, to learn a little bit more what's going on behind the scenes. So, yeah, for that reason alone, I think it's going to be a really interesting talk. So, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Well, I had the first segment lined up and it's something called Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's basically a segment. Where I just read off a definition of the profession's you know, work and what they do. I do it for a couple of reasons. One, it kind of brings everybody up to speed on what the profession is all about. 
And then two, sometimes Wikipedia is on and sometimes it's just flat out, you know, missing points or it's just inaccurate. So I think it's, it's a really nice point to kind of start the discussion. So I intentionally went with a fairly catch-all definition here of talent manager for you. Just let me read that off and maybe, you know, within the context of all that you do, you can comment afterwards. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, here we go. Talent manager. So a talent manager, also known as an artist manager, band manager, or music manager, is an individual who guides the professional career of artists in the entertainment industry. The responsibility of the talent manager is to oversee the day-to-day business affairs of an artist, advise and counsel talent concerning professional matters, long-term plans, and personal decisions which may affect their career. There it is. So first thoughts, what do you think of that, Chris? I I think that's a good uh, definition of a talent manager. I think the key is guide the career. Whereas agents, especially here in LA and New York, are more transactional about closing deals and stuff like that. I'm more looking big picture for clients and find out what they're doing, you know, how they're feeling about their their, their career and what, what needs to be done. And then I also look for some other opportunities. So I will bring in other people to the team if needs be, if the, if the client is big enough. I might bring in a publicist if the client is going to be doing a lot of business stuff. I'll bring in an attorney to, to handle like a lot of the business stuff. There's a little bit of distinction. Sometimes I think people get confused that talent manager and agent are the same thing. They're not. In fact, you know, agencies in California and New York are highly regulated. They have to be bonded by the state of California, and they're only limited to a 10% commission. Whereas talent management can be any, you know, it's anywhere because you're not really necessarily doing, you're not transactional, you're more career guidance. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's a really, well, I, I suppose the first gem of this conversation right out of the gate. I mean, that's something that, yeah, as an outsider, you wouldn't necessarily be aware of, I would say. There, there, there's, there's definitely a distinction sometimes, but it, sometimes it gets confusing. A lot of times, you know, if I'm helping a client negotiate a deal, I'm, you know, I might, if, if it's a really intense deal, I will bring in an outside attorney to, to handle the right. ands and buts, because I'll be honest with you, I, as much as I love contract law, it's not my yeah. forte. So, yeah. so if somebody came to me and said, hey, we want to put a, a menu item on a, on a fast food restaurant's menu with the client's name, that would be a different, that would be a deal I'd probably right. bring somebody else in too. Yeah, fair um, enough, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, things I work on, um, well, obviously the the brand deals come in, but a big fan of not having that be uh, influencer's main income. I want them to have a bunch of other sources of, of, of income and, and, you know, so it, so they don't have to depend on the ups and downs of brand deals. So things like that would be merch is usually the first one that everybody goes to. I'm a big fan of unusual merch and things that uh, normally you wouldn't see. I'm also a fan, fan of clients who are like, maybe if there's somebody in the health and wellness space, instead of, you know, doing a deal with a, protein powder brand. I'd rather you, you know, if you're big enough, create your own brand, you know, and, and there are companies out there. We, I, I've been just finding all sorts of interesting companies out there that will do that for you. That will literally like, you know, design it, ship it from drop shipping to name it. And then, I, you know, I'm constantly talking to companies about the most unique ways of the, the creator economy from companies like Jelly Smack, which takes your old content and remonetizes it on Facebook and Snapchat. So content that's sitting on YouTube that's, you know, may still make money can be, you know, edited and remonetized on those, those two other platforms. Or like companies like Pinterest, 
who are really interested in getting the short form video. So, hey, I have a ton of TikTokers. And so they've been slowly ready to launch a, a new uh, program where they're going to be able to pay their creators. Very similar to what TikTok announced recently in YouTube. And also they have like little, you know, private programs that like, you know, where they'll pay creators to start creating for their platform, you know, yeah. and, and making sure that content's going there. Mm. Usually first, usually yeah. it's like a first, it's like a first look deal in film and television. Yeah, so they, yeah. they get kind of like the first crack at, at new new stuff. So. Mm. I mean, it shouldn't surprise me like this entire ecosystem that's evolved around this creator economy, and especially in in you know this conversation about influencers. You know, with the with some of the the stats that have come out in terms of that industry and its growth. I think we're going to touch upon that later in the talk today, but I mean. It is still kind of blows your mind just how quickly all of this has come about, really, and and still constantly evolving. You know, I was aware of you know probably half it, well, most of what you're just speaking of there, but then there was a couple of things that I you know quite frankly hadn't heard about, and uh, it just seems like you know every few months there's a new company that's popping up and offering this service and that service. So yeah, it, it's really quite interesting. I've got this other quick question too here while we're at it. In terms of, I guess, your work now with influencers, and then prior to that, I guess you're you're helping with writers and reality producers. Yeah. What was the what is the distinction of working between those two separate types of, you know, individuals essentially, right? I'm sure the demands and the, the needs are quite different. Would you be able to to share a little insight well, on that? Writers and producers, we have a set a set uh, thing of buyers. I mean, there's only like so many studios. There's a bunch of indie companies that will buy byproduct, but it was usually, you know, Fox, Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, Sony, New Line at the time, you know, uh, Miramax and a bunch of other ones when I was working. But um, yeah, there was a set, only a limited amount of buyers. And and then you had to have relationships. Like it was not, uh, you can't cold call Disney and get them return a call. You have to have that relationship. Right. And that that's the key to that. With influencer marketing, it's a little bit easier because there's so many brands and there's so many buyers and there's so many people working in it. You know, a lot of my time is like, you know, ask my clients, hey, who do you want to work with? And we just, if we don't, if none of the other managers here, talent managers at my company, no, I'll go look them up on LinkedIn, reach out, cold call them, cold email, you know, yeah. just standard sales stuff yeah. to, just to get, break down a, a door, so... Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think that's the main difference. It's, it's the limited amount of buyers. And also TV and film is very relationship focused. Like when I was managing writers and, and everything, my lunches, I always had a lunch, always had a lunch, always had the drinks, that one-on-one -on -one relationship. I don't know. A lot, a lot of times, like a lot of people I deal with in, in influential marketing rarely have met in person. Mm -hmm. So they're just mm -hmm. either an email or like a couple of them I've done five-figure deals that that been crazily like just by email, you know? Really? You know, yeah. Like a, lot, a lot of them don't want to like get on the phone or, or meet up or something like that yet. But then again, I, I started this in the pan, going back to this in the pandemic because the event world fell apart, obviously, yeah. you know, with yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, that's, I think, the main difference. It's like the buyer, mm. buyers are kind of limited, so. Yeah, well, it sounds like it was a pretty, you know, well, a decent pivot for you during that time. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I love the event world. I'm still like involved with it. I just, you know, you know, it was really interesting because influencer marketing and the event world were meshing a lot in my life as well. I can give you prime some examples of that. I befriended, you know, like at certain events, like some very big YouTubers, and they didn't have anybody that would submit them to film premieres out here in LA or. Oscar party. 
well, I have those people. I know who those people are. Yeah. So I got Jake Paul and Logan Paul to attend the Variety Oscar party, Variety Magazine Oscar pre-Oscar party. First, first time they've ever had an influencer walk the red carpet, which was interesting because none of the photographers would take pictures of them. They, they were like, who the, who the hell are these people? So I saw that and I uh, walked up, I was walking in front and there was like a bunch of video interviewers and podcasters and you know, who knows. And uh, those guys, you know, I, I've, I had to age shame them because I was like, oh, wait, you're over 30. You won't you won't understand this. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I ended up getting Logan and Jake a USA Today article out of that. Wow. You know? And I'm not in their publicist or even pretending to be. I'm just like, hey, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm befriended them and, you know, doing them a favor. Same with uh, David Dobrik and Liza Koshy. I used to have to beg and plead for people to let them go to events and, it illustrates so, how quickly everything has just been flipped, right? I mean, it's oh, just yeah. completely flipped now. Like the, the whole power dynamics. I mean, again, there's another question that's going to come up later on, I think. And, but right. uh, yeah, it's really quite fascinating. Before we do get into that really quickly too, right. in terms of a typical day, what, what, what would you be involved in, I guess, like a, a usual day for you? Checking emails, calling people. It's just, it's like sales. It's, it, it's, it's really? you know, following up on things, you know, mm. it's uh, and then talking to clients and and making sure that they're, happy or if they're, you know, luckily I have a really great coordinator and a really great okay. assistant that um, handled like a lot of the, the nuts and bolts stuff. Yeah. So like, I, I don't have to really follow up on, Hey, are you going to meet this deadline or, you know, yeah. this and that coordinator does that communicates with the uh, brands and lets know what's happening. She basically, we have her act as like the mediator between the brand gotcha. and the buyer and the uh, client really don't want you know, everybody talking to the client directly, or they'll yeah. just, you know, go try to go around you for some reason. Right. Yeah. It's mostly morning, catching up on emails, responding to emails. Mm. Like twice a week, we have meetings. So um, there's a Monday morning meeting that we do virtually. And then on Wednesdays, we're in, in, in this office here. And so we, the managers meet up and we just trade information of, you know, what's going on with all the clients what's going on with their clients, what's going on with your clients. We kind of structure this management company like an old, like a talent agency because not only I come from a talent agency, but the guy who owns it, Dustin Parker, comes from a talent agency as well. So we're kind of used to that type of thing. So we've divided up all the buyers into, you know, like I have about 150 buyers I'm supposed to keep up with and we divided up, you know, with everybody. So the Wednesday meetings is going through buyer needs and who's followed up on stuff and what's going on with this guy. So, okay. yeah, I mean, it's just basically morning emails and trying to get phone calls set up and conference calls set up and then, you know, checking in with clients. I've been doing like a lot more signings lately. That's been a, a thing I've been kind of focused on right now is getting more clients, more creator clients. Cause you know, like, first of all, the a creator's career can be short lived. So it might be five years, might be 10 years, but you know, there's very few creators that started at YouTube at the beginning and are still making right. content. Yeah. So it's just constantly restocking basically. And yeah. 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 Okay. No, that's interesting too. But you have to do in, you know, with writers and radiology, sometimes they're, 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 they just can't seem to, connect with the a new buyer or the new buyer. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite similar. Okay. Well, I would like to shift into a new segment here if we could, Chris, and it's something of Q&A discovery. I mean, kind yeah. of just continue this back and forth. And I kind of like to dive into to your past a little bit here. I mean, listeners always love the origin stories and backstories, if you will. Were you originally from the LA area? 
By any no. Chance or, no? Grew, okay. grew up in San Antonio, went in the Navy, went into college in Utah. And then that's when I started kind of getting into, like, as I was starting to graduate, I was like, well, you know what? I, you know, I'm kind of interested in the entertainment industry. I was working at the big theater there. I was doing IATSE, like building, you know, building those big concert. People have to build stages. And so I was into that that part of it, you know, like backstage and doing that stuff. But I wanted to like come down there and still didn't know what I wanted to do. Couldn't figure it out. Came down here, immediately got a job at Variety, the magazine mm-hmm. first, and selling basically advertising on a compact dispersion of all the production companies and services. Uh, which was horrible. So, and <laughs> that ended up, I ended up meeting somebody that at William Morris, a, uh, an assistant and to one of the bigger agents at the time. And she got me an interview and I went, did the whole William Morris assistant thing, which is basically thrown in the, thrown into the fire. So it's led me to go to Disney and, you know, yeah. eventually, you know, and I went to the whole management side because, you know, I was, I, I just seemed to, you know, I was old, I'm technically older, so you know, like I, I found that a lot of the development exec jobs were going to twenty year olds, and uh, you yeah. know, you thirty like trying to get into that. You know, sometimes they age you out really quickly. So, but management, you can make your own magic. I mean, one of my friends, Brooklyn Weaver, is a mm. big time, you know, lit manager. Basically, you know, was told he could, you know, he would never be promoted as an agent. I did yeah. never. So he said, I'm going to go do, you know, I'm going to manage people. And he did. And he went there and he sat there and for six months meeting with, uh, you know, buyers and developing relationships and re- and just reading. It was like, told me he just read constantly. And mm. boom, now he's uh, like a top, you know, uh, lit manager. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. In terms of what pulled you into, I guess, the influencer marketing, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit, maybe. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I touched it with um, the event side. So I met like, I went to the first VidCon with a, a guy named Dave Days, who was a gigantic YouTuber at the time. And um, I befriended him before because I was working with a, a, a brand client, Monster Energy Drink, and I had him pick, come pick up a ton of Monster for uh, mm. thing. And then we just kept talking and I got him into events and stuff like that. And and weirdly enough, I mean, I met a ton of people that were involved with influencer marketing um, that led me to like meeting the Viners at the beginning. So, no great Paul, the Paul brothers, like a ton of other ones, uh, yeah. Gabby, Hannah, stuff like that. Yeah. And then um, I still didn't, you know, put two and two together that I, I have all these great relationships mm. and why am I not uh, exploiting them for yeah, like, exactly. doing more with them? You know, after I went back into, you know, I was still in the event world after the, the whole pandemic. Dustin Parker called me and says, you know, you know, all these top, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your Instagram and like all these top YouTubers and everybody following you, like, like yeah. they, they, they're, they're following you, you know, and you seem to know them and hell, yeah. you were in Dobrik's vlogs for many times. Just do that. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm like, oh, I'm not doing anything right now. So yeah, why not? And yeah. Yeah. And it was just like stepping back into management. It was, it was just, mm. it was fine. It was just, you know, a matter of finding, clients and i found yeah. one that i really liked and yeah there you go and then signed him two weeks later so no way there you go it's funny how things sort of work out in the end yeah, yeah no yeah yeah right place right time and i guess that kind of like that little push maybe by you know people within your own network recognizing your skills and abilities and yeah uh, yeah and, and what you had already built around you and it was just ready for the taking essentially so oh, okay yeah. it's really interesting 
In terms of, I guess, painting even a clearer picture of what you're doing as far as managing, you know, some of the talent, would you be able to maybe um, share with listeners maybe an example of an event that you might have, you know, some of your your talent attending, or maybe uh, maybe a, a case study, for example, of something that they've done or they've been involved with, or you might help set up. For for event side, I had a bunch of. Uh... You know, like Coachella is usually the influencer influencer Olympics there. Yeah, no, I mean, I helped uh, the Rolling Stone event. You know, I helped them invite influencers, find influencers who were in town. Okay. Did that a couple of times for Neon Carnival. So some of these bigger events. And that that's when I was totally in the event world because, you know, a lot of times I was involved in the production of those. So I wanted, you know, these influencers show up because they knew they would might they might do a story or something like that. Right. Yeah. So um yeah, so, so that yeah, recently I've been sending one my New York client to you know film premieres like Disney and Netflix. And he and then during VidCon, they had a uh, uh we had sat down with the uh, one of the Disney execs like beforehand and he uh, offered um you know free trip to Disneyland. For you know, they were doing some like influencer media during VidCon, and uh, yeah, I, I knew my my guy was like the biggest Disney nut, and they were going they probably already buying tickets. So like, I literally called him like a month before. I said, "Do not buy tickets to Disneyland. You, you, you know, do not buy tickets." And he goes, yeah. "Well, we're just about to." Yeah, why? Well, I'm not going to tell you, but until <laughs> until it's all confirmed, you know. Yeah. And then he got that, and then um, they ended up uh, liking him so much they. Flew him out to Disney World and give him a week's vacation. Oh wow! So, okay, yeah. it all leads to something. So yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, no, I think that kind of paints a nice picture. Kind of you know clears yeah. things up for people a little bit even more. So, in terms of something we were speaking about earlier, and uh, I found this really interesting as well. So researching for this talk, obviously, again, this this whole sort of sub industry, which is just evolving of you know influencer marketing is growing in so many different directions. And I mean, influencer marketing isn't something new necessarily, obviously, like, you know, traditional celebrities have been doing it forever. But what is kind of new is this this rise of micro-influencers, I guess you yeah. could call them. And in terms of their sway, their power, their influence, and some are projecting in these micro-influencers to have more power and more sway than the traditional celebrity type. I, I think there, I, I think for any influencer marketing strategy, it's all levels. That you yeah. need to be looking at, not just. Yeah. I think a lot of people, especially at the beginning, the whole micro influencer yeah. uh, thing. A lot of them that were a lot of these companies that run on micro influencers were PR agencies mm. who were basically looking for people to post for free. And okay. uh, a lot of times, uh, there's now like groups out there like FYPM.VIP, which kind of like um, like has decided that that there's not there's too much closeness on this. So they're, they've created a database of influencer deals uh, from micro-influencer to, to, you name it, mega-influencer, so people can see what they're, what they're worth. But a lot of times, I, I always have, have the feeling that like a lot of our micro-influencers get these horrible deals sent to them, like, you know, hey, 20 bucks to post. Like, no, that's not going to happen. So a lot of them, like a lot of the micro-influencer world... I think it's a lot of people have a little bit of more wishful thinking that that, mm. that they have this much sway, but yeah, a lot of them have bigger like like can have larger engagements. But yeah. then again, I I would always point to like you know clients like you know like my friends like Eliza Koshy who has a twenty three percent engagement rate, which is bigger mm. than any micro-influencer ever had. So mm. you can't tell me that it's one of the uh, that that oh mega influencers don't mean anything. 
Nah, yeah. I think I think micro influencers have you know I think have a have a part to play. The other thing is a lot of people look at micro influencers as bottom of the funnel. So basically, they they are made are told to um, you know like it's a, if they don't make enough sales and then they're gone. Yeah. But you know you got to look at everything like uh, you know like like all levels of funnel. Like a Kim Kardashian would be a top of funnel thing because you don't you, yeah. you even though she does get sales or Beyonce does get sales, it's more awareness brand awareness brand lift, and that's equally you know it's hard to measure because you don't you're not measuring sales. The thing in, you know, if micro transfers are bottom of the funnel, if your product is like in stores or, you know, like on Amazon and, and, and Amazon and everyplace else, and the only way you're tracking sales is is through those you know, coupon codes on your on your own site. But if you're available in stores, how do you know they didn't yeah. influence your even more sales? Right. I mean, how That's do you quite clattered, how do you yeah. for that? A lot of micro influencers, you know, can have great careers. It's just I I feel it's feel a lot of them are going to take advantage of and they mm. probably should be charging a lot more. Okay. If they're, if they're considered that valuable, they should be getting paid much more than most yeah. of them are paid. Yeah. So we say a lot no to a lot of deals for micro influencers. Okay. What would you attribute their rise in any way, shape or form, whether it's even just on the bottom rungs or even, you know, working their I way think, up? What, I what think do you think it, it is that's really like allowed them to, to cut into this world essentially, right? I mean, influencer marketing again, cost. traditionally it was just- I think it's all cost. Yeah. Because yeah. once the micro-influencers started charging money, then suddenly, oh, we love nano-influencers. And these are people that are less than 10,000 followers. Okay, yeah. well, you know, now you're just getting, you know, there's there's so much work that has to be done to do a campaign of mm-hmm. micro-influencers and nano-influencers where you could have done that, get that same reach or at least eyeballs by hiring two mega-influencers or something like that. Right. Right, right, right. So it's a cost. Whatever name they come up next week for levels. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I'm I'm a big fan of let's please let's not focus on followers. Let's focus on how many people actually see the posts. Yeah. And that's a different number. Like you I have one micro influencer right now that you know has like I say forty thousand followers on TikTok, but his views are like a hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand on average, just as good as any. And you know, a person with a million followers that only gets yeah. 150, it's, it's the same 150. So yeah. people it's get a shock when I say, hey, he's this price. And they go, well, he only has this many followers. I go, don't base it on followers. Look at the average views. And here's what here's what TikTok has said about this guy. They, they, I, I usually have a, I download something for the creator marketplace and, you know, as backup. So, yeah. you know, here, here's all the real numbers from TikTok. So, okay. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think a lot of it's just they're lower costs and you can do it for cheaper. So, Got it. Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of it is like it's a lot of people like overestimate how their, their, their impact. I think mm. that's just me. I, I have this viewpoint of that, that, hey, they're just as good, but they're not, the, you know, end all be all of inflation. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's insightful. It's insightful. I mean, those are things that you can read the stats and you can read things online or elsewhere, but uh, it, it helps to have that other perspective of somebody who's on the ground and can see it and understands the industry. So yeah, I oh, really yeah. appreciate that. And I, I've seen all these like, like, Oh, this study came out and the studies are all from companies that are selling micro. Right. Not, you know, so I'm like, well, you know, come on, of course, yeah. of course they're going to be the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread. Okay. In terms of, I guess, deciding shifting to another question here in terms of deciding for you 
of maybe a talent to work with. Obviously, metrics are going to come into play here. You know, that's going to be one thing. But outside of the metrics, is there anything else in particular that you're looking for? Well, I enjoy. I mean, if, if it's somebody I like, a lot of the people I've I've signed now are people mm-hmm. I watch. So yeah. I, I'm just I've decided that I'm a great judge of talent because believe me, I was picking out the viners that were going to make it and become YouTubers long before you know and. And people like they go, oh, you knew about this guy before anybody else did. I go, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I've been just like facing on what comes up in my feed, who I like, if they're sellable, you know, yeah. if they have a um, format that's you can sell, and if they're you know brand friendly and everything like that. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I notice I don't have a lot of beauty influencers. Not a world I understand, so I kind of avoid that. But you know, there's our literally management companies that are solely beauty influencers i'm more like into like comedy more entertainment like where where it's personality i like personality i don't like uh yeah like somebody just you know showing pictures of them on a beautiful beach and that's it or 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 doing dances and and not ever talking to your audience i think yeah yeah Yeah. that's great you did a dance fantastic but do you have a personality (laughs) outside of that yeah yeah Yeah. actually develop a community so okay. That's that. That's also a key for now to influencer marketing is developing an actual community. Okay. In terms of, I guess, your role in all of this, I mean, again, I have referenced this already. This whole industry is evolving so yeah. rapidly, so quickly, and it is so trendy. I mean, sometimes you'll have this platform which is just hitting it, and within you know, it'll last for maybe three to four years or so, and then suddenly you've got something else coming through, yeah. um, and it just seems like it's never ending, which is exciting. I mean, no doubt, this is exciting. But also on the flip side, it must be a little bit taxing at times for somebody like yourself or for anyone in that space who's got to constantly relearn the, oh, yeah. the new ways of putting your talent into these situations that are going to be beneficial to them and you fully understanding the platforms themselves and, and the space that they're operating within. What has that been like? Oh, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's interesting. Like like almost, I say once a week, um, I, I will, somebody will reach out to me on LinkedIn with a new tech, with some new tech, new creator tech, new, new something or another. I, I'm now having my assistant keep a list of everybody that we meet with because I'm now like losing like, oh, wait, what, what was the guy's name that we that did that, you know, and everything. So, and with the whole metaverse and everything like that coming up, I mean, that's yeah. been confusing yeah. as well for the next like, you know, four years until it exactly, right. actually really takes off so mm-hmm. so yeah no i'm constantly learning new stuff and reading reading a ton on you know business insiders whatever the trend is on influence marketing every morning i get a big google alert with everything that's been written that last last day about influencer marketing and trend yeah so i can know it yeah because like you know like 10 years ago you have been uh you know you've been talking about you know 15 years ago myspace or 10 years ago myspace and now right. we're Right. You know, like it, that will it, will it put down YouTube? And now, you know, MySpace is gone. You know, Friendster is, is pretty much gone. And, yeah. you know, or, or Friendster went, you know, mostly like, like Asian companies, countries, mm-hmm. or something like that. So, mm-hmm. and then there's a bunch of Chinese ones that are out there that are very gigantic, like that yeah. I haven't heard about yet, you know. Exactly. Um, exactly. Even TikTok itself. I mean, that one is a fairly rapid rise as well, at least within. That was a rapid rise. And, and it was funny, like three years for years ago, I was telling all my friends, like, you got to do TikTok. You got to learn about TikTok. And they, were, they weren't they were taking it seriously. And then suddenly, yeah. you know, 
and just Charlie Gamilia is getting like multi-season contracts for reality shows, mm-hmm. and products, yeah. product lines, and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, it's interesting. I mean, in, in the course of doing this show, you know, I'm interviewing people, tons of different industries constantly, and the one thing that kind of binds it all together, I find, at least the people that that I've been speaking to, is the ones that seem the most satisfied and the most, you know, passionate about the, what they're doing have these elements embedded within their work. You know, they're constantly discovering, constantly relearning new things, yeah. new ways. And uh, yeah, sure, at times, I guess it can be a little bit tricky and taxing, difficult, whatever adjective you want to throw in there yeah. and with a negative connotation. But also too, it does offer this this rewarding aspect to it as well that I think is uh, something that can't really be overlooked. And uh, yeah, I'm sure for you as well, that, that would be something that uh, would, would make your line of work at least uh you know compelling to a certain degree it's a lot of relearning stuff and yeah you know and i'm sure in about three years there'll be a whole new like like you know things to that we're now we're now measuring successful campaigns differently you know we're Mm -hmm. you know it's it's not about comments or you know it's only able to become about something else yeah, you know, a new metric. Watch time is like the new new thing. Uh, Are the videos are being watched all the way through? Are they just you know, 10 dropping seconds. off yeah. in the middle. I think that, that, and that was a TikTok thing that's kind of like really driving that. Trying to grow that. So, yeah. yeah. See, it's fascinating. Like that stuff is quite fascinating how it just constantly is evolving and the, the, yeah. the whole evolution of it. So, yeah. No, no, I think, think people who are like, you know, just stuck on followers are just going to, you know, making a lot of mistakes for the next mm. couple of years. They figure out that, hey, you know, just because somebody has 10 million followers doesn't mean they have 2 million eyeballs too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had uh, I had a guest on earlier and he's on the agency side. So he yeah. he runs, you know, a lot of campaigns for, for the agency essentially and works with influencers there. And we had a little segment. He was speaking about, you know, how some nefarious ways that, you know, some of the influencers are going about things in terms of building up their follower accounts, right? Yeah. And for the agency side, I mean, they have the tools, obviously. I mean, pretty much anyone, you you can find that out. You can you, discover you that know, like, fairly quickly. I, you know, um, we use Critter IQ, and I can I can look up and find out how many fake followers you have on yeah anything. So I, I know if you're for real or not. So yeah. the problem is, is that these bot farms, they, what they do is they follow everyone, not only the one who bought it, but then they follow everything. So like I, I've been noticing that I get a lot of like fake followers trying to follow me, and I. You know, I've been really, I only want the people who, you know, who like me yeah. to, to have, have, have genuine, it's authentic. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, who are genuine followers. Yeah. But they follow everyone. So they, not only are they following that one who bought it, they're following Kim Kardashian, they're following, you know, right. you name it, you know, this yeah. beauty influencer. And it hurts everybody. But yeah. You know, I, I think I had an argument online recently where the guy was selling bots and stuff like that. I go, you know, you know, you're just screwing up the industry. And, yeah. you know, I, th- I think some of these agencies should go after if they find out that somebody had like it's just a ton of fake followers or they bought people to to literally like their, you know, all, all the likes are from Pakistan or or, whatever, yeah. or India. Big fan of those guys going after those guys for fraud. You know, mm-hmm. you, they got yeah. fraud. Yeah. You know, yeah. be better for the industry if they, they, they did that. Well, it's pushing maybe the industry as well to evolve, you know, like you said, you know, watch counts, for example, a new metric that's going to be a little bit more spot on in terms of actually, you know, measuring engagement, I suppose. So, yeah. Okay. 
Well, I would like to shift over into a new segment here, if we can, Chris. It's yeah. called a water cooler story segment. And here I just ask guests to indulge listeners with a story related to their work. So I'd love to hear what you got for us today. So I signed this client, Alex Griswold, in mid, mid-January. And he got an income query from a big company. And so like, you know, a bunch of TikToks and some Instagram stuff and everything like that. And I negotiated the deal. And then I, so I asked him, said, how much would you, would you have charged for this without me? And he goes, I probably $5,000, maybe, maybe 3,000. He was like, he was like, sure. And then I had to tell him I got him 20. So I basically tripled his income just yeah. from one deal. And I think it was after that, it was like, oh, okay. And like, you know, you got to know your worth. That's uh, it's one of the, the good stories of showing, showing clients that they are they're worth a lot more. Than yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember like three years ago when I was even managing one of those TikTokers who had like constantly was getting 10 million views was uh, going to make a deal, was making a deal with Dunkin' Donuts and he was scared to ask for $2,000, you know? And I was like, dude, you know, you should ask him for nine or 10. And he was like, no, I can't do that. I can't. And then he ended up closing it too. And it's like, all right, well, they got you for cheap. You know, congratulations. I mean, that perfectly illustrates the role of somebody like yourself and what you can do yeah. for people, right? Oh, yeah. Fully understanding the industry and knowing one, just what the rates are. And then also just recognizing talent too, in terms of what they could achieve. Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's funny because, you know, like if I don't know what I should charge, I mean, I have like four other managers here that can give me guidance. So if it's something like an appearance fee or something like that, which I mm-hmm. don't do a ton of, like I, there's one manager that's constantly negotiates those so mm. like that. yeah 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 well it must also kind of uh you know tread into the world of you know personal satisfaction as well and seeing that yeah. you know you know that's another element i think to any successful career is being able to to feel you know your worth outside of like your own accomplishment but you know helping in another person sort of discover that too it must be a, another sort of like perhaps you know overlooked aspect of the job but when you stop and consider it all it must be a rewarding one I would assume. Yeah, yeah no, no, it, 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 it's it's um it's not as high energy as as talent agency work, but it's uh I, I think I'm actually making a difference in people's lives, and I mm. they know that the you know I'm actually doing the the job they needed done. I want my creators to focus on the creative side and yeah. not worry about closing brand deals or or like dealing with you know what your merch looks like or finding out or sitting on phone calls with different people pitching different things. Yeah. So like new apps and stuff like that. So let, let me handle that. I, get, I, I can handle all that from you and you can work, work focus on creating great content that people like and people respond to. So. Yeah, nice. Okay. Alrighty. Well, we are heading into the very last segment here, Chris, and it's something called the crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're kind of looking forward to the future, trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And in the spirit of the segment, I kind of dug up some stats that kind of really lay bare the, the dynamic nature of this influencer marketing you know, sphere. And I'd like just to read these off, maybe for you, I'm sure you're well, well aware of them, but more importantly for listeners, just so they can fully grasp this, this entire industry. So let me just read that off. 2016, influencer marketing industry was estimated to be $1.7 billion in size. In 2020, that figure rose to 9.7 billion US dollars. 2021, 13.8, 2022, 16.4 billion. And 93% of marketers have used influencer marketing already and almost all plan to use it more in the future. So here's the question for you. 
obviously we can see the trends here. You know, again, you know all these these stats just as well as anyone. But where do you see things going moving forward? You know, you've already kind of touched on maybe the metaverse, you know, Web three stuff, perhaps. Yeah. How do you see this whole industry evolving? Well, I think we're going to see different players pop up, and I think some players are going to go away. So I think that's we're saying some platforms that we, you know, like are, are loving Facebook, to name it, might go away in the next, you know, five to ten years, hmm. and we'll probably probably will. Like one of the big ones will probably, you know, drop off, go down, drop down, exactly. And then I think for the next few years, recession wise, you know, I I just had this. You know, everybody's like talking about, oh, things are bad. are you bad or I think I've done more deals in the last like three months than I have you know in the last six six months. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be increasing even more. So mm-hmm. I think it's I think this, this industry is going to be a little bit recession proof because you know recession or not, you still have to advertise your company. You still have yeah. to do you still have to market your company. You can't like just suddenly yeah. stop marketing because guess what? You know the approach will change, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think the trends are. There'll be a, a new players will pop up and knock out old players. I think it'll still brand deals will still be going on right and left. I think it's going to be recession proof. I just have this mm. nasty feeling that it's it's just not going to like I'm not going to notice this. I'm not going to notice yeah. that, that there's a recession or if there is. So yeah, well, um, it could be one of those things you you spoke about already. I mean, where they go after maybe micro influencers, <laughs> the right. budgets are a little bit smaller. Okay, we're going to shift down into this segment here and go after this, exactly. which still for your line of work is going to be fine because I'm sure you have your funnels. Yeah, because we have I have influencers at all levels. I mean, yeah, I have right? like big star influencers, but I also have a bunch of micro influencers, and this this uh, mantra company represents like like at least twenty or thirty of those, and you know, yeah. and so we're we're closing deals at all levels. So we're not yeah. we're not like. CA or, or like one of the big agencies, like only looking at the, at the big stars, you know, right, right. Uh, every little level. So hmm. Hmm. that's interesting. It's really fascinating sort of, you know, business approach to it all, I guess, yeah. as a way it's of sort of like said, insulating yeah. you from, you know, downturns in the economy in essence. So, okay. Well, I mean, today has just been filled with tons and tons of different insights. I feel like just in the course of this conversation, I've learned so much more, you know, obviously you research these things, get a, a good feel for it, but uh, I feel like you filled in a lot of the gaps and I'm sure listeners are going to have the exact same type of sentiment. So I can't thank you enough for, for uh, coming on today. It's been uh, really, really a great talk. Awesome. Thanks for having yeah. me. And for those interested in learning more about Chris and his work, you can find him on LinkedIn and uh, the links will be included in the show notes. Also too, if you like today's show, please be sure to share. I mean, stuff goes a long way. So it certainly helps. You can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And also too, you can head on over to YouTube. Within the last year, we did launch a channel over there and check out full video conversations, uh, much like the one we had today with Chris. And of course too, Please don't forget to tune in to the next episode of Life as a, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.